Hey everybody, this is Andy Baker and this is the Baker's Dozen. And this week I am going to be taking a look at Loki episode three of season two, 1893. One. Quick overview. We're halfway through season two, and uh, I realized that I was getting annoyed, and I looked back at what I did, the shows that I covered before, where I covered Wheel of Time, Book of Boba Fett, started getting a little bit negative, and I was sort of just digging into the shows, and that's not what I want to do here with Loki, and from this point on. I mean, the point of this podcast, ultimately is to learn how to develop, build, and write really good TV shows, specifically genre TV shows, sci-fi, fantasy, that sort of thing. Um, that's my wheelhouse. And a lot of being able to write great television emerges from understanding the good and bad of what other shows do. When we learn how to watch, we learn how to write. And so as writers, we can learn from TV, whether it's good, bad, or in the case of Loki, somewhere in between. So I'm going to be focusing on story. And if you imagine words on a script page, you know, that's where we can see what's working and what should have been reconsidered before they moved into production. Because when you have the script, that's when you have complete control. Uh, once you hand it over to production, you have to white knuckle it all the way to the end where the pieces will either come together or they won't, but you need to control what you can control. And that's words on a page. Two. Whiteboards and creating arcs. So when you are developing a project and when you're looking at, say, the second season of a show, you look at the characters you have, you look at other characters and other themes, stories that will give you those characters and look at how they will play out over the course of the season. You have six episodes. That's your space. That's your canvas. And you need to create arcs for every one of the characters, bigger, more dramatic arcs for your central characters. But everybody should have an arc, no matter how big or small. And so you need to have a roadmap so you can see where you're going to leave these characters at the end of the season. You also have to make sure that there's plenty of content for all of your major characters in all six episodes. And that's important. Put a pin in that. The idea that you need to have material in all six episodes. You can't ignore characters for lots of reasons. Part of it is, you know, mainly what we're looking at is narrative, but you also have to think about things like the actors are signing on for six episodes. You can't ignore them. You want them to be excited about what you have written for them. They need to be appearing in every episode and be doing very interesting things in those episodes. Otherwise, you have discontented talent on your hands. When you think about each of these characters individually, you also have to explore the relationships between those characters. You have to look at the relationships those characters have with the antagonists, their connections to them. If you have your main characters, those characters who are helping them, the Mobiuses of the world, those are characters who bring out sides of your protagonists. And frankly, the antagonists also have those characters around them that bring out sides of them. You need to explore all of that 
in the space that you have. And if I were in charge, I would look at my pool of characters and I would look at the staff and assign characters to those writers and say, you are in charge of tracking these characters. Do they do enough? Do they say enough? Are they appearing in all of the episodes as the episodes are evolving? Are they going to end up in an interesting place? Just somebody who is going to advocate for those characters, again, no matter how big or small, in the room when you are starting to really break down the pieces of the narrative and understanding what's going to go into which episode. So someone can raise their hand and say, there's not enough for this character in this episode. We need to add something more and do something interesting, or we're not getting in all of the beats of how a character transforms and evolves over the course of the season. And so we need to take another look at that so we can put in those beats. So it feels rewarding when we get to the end of the season. And uh, obviously, since I am rambling about this here, I have some questions about how they did that in this season and this episode in particular. And so in the points I'm going to make up ahead, I'm going to look at each of these characters and ask some questions, some hard questions about how they laid out the pieces for season two. Three, Loki. Now it's Loki's show, right? He is at the center of everything or he should be. It's his show, but if you ask me in this episode, it really didn't feel that way. He's in the time loom control room, dutifully asking questions. And he and Mobius do the buddy cop thing. We get a amusing moment where he looks at the carved Norse gods, but that doesn't really advance very much except remind us that he's immortal. And obviously Mobius points that out as well. And we do get a little bit more exploration of the Loki, uh, Sylvie dynamic, although it really is not really treading any new ground. It's just revisiting, but I'll get into that more later. And then there's the confrontation in Timely's uh, lab and we get to see different facets of his, of Loki's relationship with some of these characters. But ultimately you have to ask yourself, and this is what that person in the room who's in charge of Loki raises his hand and says, does Loki change enough? In this episode, he's got the biggest arc. Did he move along that arc enough? Did he grow at all? Does he do anything of real significance? Now the, the argument in the room would be, well, yeah, Sylvie, she is changing and that journey to change is connected to Loki's again, on a thematic level, they are the same character, but we need to see different sides to that character through the prism of those two versions of him. But that said, Loki himself is helping Sylvie change here, but, and that's reflecting his own change because he is becoming a better version of himself, but he doesn't, at least to me in this episode, do enough over the course of the episode to show us much that is new. Cause we kind of knew he was already in that place where he wanted to help the TVA and ultimately it is not Loki who convinces Sylvie to make this change that is Victor timely. So does Loki do enough? I would argue that, you know, he, he's the most significant character in the show and whoever is in charge of Loki needed to speak up more and point out that they're losing the thread of Loki over the course of the six episodes. 
should have been able to look at the six episodes and say, okay, we put some pieces into place in episode one and episode two, and there's some fun stuff, and his relationship with Mobius is starting to expand. And, but in episode three, there's not a lot of Loki development going on. Should we go back and look at that and give him something more to do? Because we might get to, I mean, this is the mid-season cliffhanger, right? This is three episodes in, there's only three left. And that last episode, episode six is going to be if past his prologue. It is going to be a kinetic episode. There's going to be some wrapping up of things, but there's not going to be a heck of a lot of new development. So you really only have two more episodes to really pay off a lot of and continue to develop Loki as a character. This episode needed to do more than it did to push Loki along his character arc. Four. Mobius. Now, everything Owen Wilson says is funny. And yet, if you have a scene where ultimately all that character is doing is spouting exposition, as they were in the time loom control room, you're not making the most of that character. I mean, they're creating excuses to have him just say fun stuff like, you know, the food is sticky. His delivery is just on point. And so you just come up with these lines so that he can say those lines. But moments like that do highlight the difference between Loki and Mobius. Loki is more impulsive. Mobius is calm and measured. And we're seeing the difference between the characters. In the end, though, if Loki doesn't have much to do, then Mobius doesn't either. He's there. Mobius is there on his own smaller arc. But he's there in service of the protagonist's story. He's not going to be the one to save the TVA. That's not his job. His job is to enable Loki's growth so that Loki is prepared to be the hero that he seemingly wants to be. And so, yeah, Mobius is, again, going to have his own arc. We're going to see him on a jet ski at some point. We're going to hopefully see him, although I, I lose faith in some of these predictions because, like, we need to see some of these other threads, but I don't know if they're ever going to go there. To make Mobius's journey satisfying, we need to get glimpses of that at some point. That aside, he really is there to help Loki become his best self. He is not there really for his own journey when it comes to the narrative of the, of the story. But, you know, TV is a bigger canvas than movies, and so they can have their own development and their own stories. But ultimately, he's there so that Loki can ping off of him and figure out who he needs to be. And right now, because Loki didn't have too much to do in this episode, Mobius doesn't either. And we end up wasting two of the best characters, the best characters, frankly, as well as two of your best actors. Uh, and it's a shame. I, again, whoever was in charge of overseeing the Mobius character in the room should have been raising his hand saying like, we need more Loki because we need more Mobius because Mobius is really funny, but he's also really thoughtful and substantive and interesting. And we need to see them bounce off of each other a little bit more so that the ultimate rewards towards the end of the season, when this relationship pays off, it's been set up better. And every episode that to me should be at the heart of every episode is Mobius and Loki doing their thing. And there was just not enough of that in this episode. Five. Renslayer. We continue to have an antagonist issue. Think about this in terms of, if you watch it, 
the WWE, professional wrestling, where you're building to the main event and you have a few minor league heels and heavies leading up to that. And that's what we have here right now. We have Renslayer, we have Miss Minutes, we even have Sylvie. And it's a fractured source of antagonism. And we're kind of just waiting around for Kang, right? Or lots of them. And obviously we have Victor Timely, and we'll talk about more about that in a second. But Renslayer, she just seems very soft for an antagonist. They jammed Slayer into her name, maybe to add a certain amount of edge. Or when it was on the page, it looks like this character should be intense and be someone that uh, we worry about, someone who is going to provide that antagonism. And yet how that character is written and how that character is performed just feels a little too soft. We see that she's power hungry, but we don't really have any sense of her plan. I mean, is she just going to seduce Timely? Is that it? She brings him the TVA manual, but that's not her plan. She's a pawn in Kang's or he who remains plan. And so it just introduces that whole question. And again, we're halfway done with this thing and we don't really know what the antagonist wants or needs. And that is important to all great stories and all great antagonists. We don't need to sympathize with the antagonist and very often we shouldn't, but you know, cause they want things. We, again, don't need to sympathize with that, but we do need to empathize. We need to understand and accept why they are doing what they're doing if the story is going to be a meaningful one, a substantive one. So an easy exercise to play here is you need to be able to tell the story from the antagonist's point of view and have those goals be reasonable and understandable when you articulate them. And you really can't do that with Renslayer or any of the antagonists right now. Like, what do they care about? What do they want? Why do they want it? And it can come from a dark and negative place that they're broken and damaged human beings who want some sort of relevance and power, but we have to understand it and empathize with it. What's her purpose? Is she going to go back in time and revive Kang? I mean, why else show us his body? But she is in service right now of the main antagonist who just isn't around. And that's a problem. It's like having Loki not on screen and just having Mobius walking around and doing stuff and talking about Loki. You need to have a stronger presence from your antagonism and Renslayer just isn't it. Six. Six. Miss Minutes. Finally. Miss Minutes is back in the narrative. We've heard her name. We've heard that she's important moving forward. And there is some utility in bringing up characters throughout episodes where they don't appear so that at least the audience is aware that this there's space created for that role so that when the character does show up, there is room because we've been expecting this. That said, we're getting a major shift in who and what Miss Minutes is compared to season one. And things are already going to be accelerated in a six episode season. And now we have Miss Minutes showing up in episode three for the first time. You know, suddenly she wants to have a body and we find out that she wanted to be King's partner. And all of that comes out of nowhere. It wasn't set up in any meaningful way. 
And this is what happens when you have someone off screen for the first third of the season and literally two episodes. That's a third of the season, not around. Miss Minutes has been hermetically sealed off from the rest of the narrative. Never mind the fact that, okay, suddenly she shows up and it is a major shift. And frankly, it was kind of creepy, right? That this artificial intelligence wants to, I mean, it's a familiar sci-fi trope that, you know, that they want to have a body. Um, why you would want to trap yourself in one form is a curious thing. And I can go on at length about those kinds of choices. But anyway, seeing Miss Minutes and Renslayer battling over Timely, it was just sort of weird and creepy. You maybe understand it better because of, you know, if he is he who remains, but this is Timely, someone who is nowhere near that yet. And it's all about who he might become. And it just, that triangle were three characters we didn't see until this episode. And now we're being asked to be invested in this triangle. It's just not set up well enough. It, we, we accelerate through it as it's happening. And ultimately we look at it and say, why do we care? Just a weird tone overall. I, I mean, I have an idea ultimately where Miss Minutes her story, her arc may end up or where it's going, but I'll get to that shortly. Seven. Sylvie. Sylvie is the one in this episode who goes through the biggest chain. So kudos to the person in the room who was raising their hand and saying, okay, we need to do something with Sylvie now. We need to get to a different place. And then they got there. And yet there was a lot of repetition to get there. There was another fight just like the fight at the end of season one between Sylvie and Loki. And they acknowledge this in the script where the characters talk about it. But just because you acknowledge it doesn't make it any better. In a short season, after another short season, you don't repeat yourself. Avoid it. You can avoid it. You don't need to cover the same ground. But the end of the episode, we do see some growth. She allows Timely to live. But you have to ask yourself, was that earned? What changed? She heard from Timely, you don't know my heart. Why is that enough to convince her? Is there anything about Sylvie that has made us believe that that message is going to get through to her? Has it been set up well enough? And yeah, Loki is trying to reinforce the message to not do it, to try to be different. But again, she hasn't been on screen a ton either. And suddenly we're being asked to accept this change. Now they are trying to give her an arc and this is meant to be a significant moment of change. But when that happens, you want and need for that change to be connected to your protagonist. Your protagonist is going on an arc and being changed by everything that is going on around the protagonist, but also every character who comes in contact with your protagonist is changed by virtue of having spent time with and experienced things with your protagonist. And if Sylvie's going to make this change, it needs to come from Loki, not from Timely. Loki played a part, but that wasn't what stopped her hand in the moment. It was what Timely was saying. But Timely is not your protagonist. If anything, he's 
an early version of your antagonist, and that's not the place where positive change ultimately should be coming from in a show that's called Loki. And yet, as clumsily as this situation was handled, Sylvie did show more change than Loki. And you really can't have any major character being the same at the end of an episode as they were at the start. And those changes need to be bigger at the end of each episode in a six-episode season. If it was a 10-episode run, you could have it be smaller, more subtle. Or in the old network days, 22 episodes, you could really have it unfold in a slower fashion. But you can't do that here. In six episodes, characters need to be going through change. Sylvie went through some, but it was accelerated through and... That change needed to come from Loki, and it didn't, which is a really, it's a missed opportunity. Uh, an important one, critical one, essential one. Eight. Victor Timely. Now, I find myself in this place, I always have to split out performance from the page and imagine the words in the screenplay as opposed to how they're being delivered by the actor or actress. So on the one hand, the performance was intriguing. You can feel the evil in the character, moments where Kang comes to the fore. But the performance is better than what's on the page. The material has been elevated. That's good acting, right? There are key beats and lines here, though, that were on the page, which makes sense. He's our antagonist, but he's not fully formed yet or He's a version of our antagonist and maybe he'll grow into it, but I have other theories on that, but I'll get to that. But, you know, we do hear what we need to hear. We're timely saying I don't work with partners and he and Miss Minutes cut Renslayer free and timely is manipulating people for money, but he's also very meek. And so you know, intentionally not as gripping or captivating, but it seems to be setting up a genuine confrontation something that could be substantive where you have timely versus another version of Kang of, you know, whether it's he who remains or some other variant, because we've been told many are coming. Well, this is just one. We need to see another and we need to see maybe timely confronting another version of himself and maybe having to kill that other version of himself. Otherwise, why else tell us you don't know what's in my heart? If this is good writing, and I, I think that there was some good writing there, that line about you don't know what's in my heart is meant to be ambiguous. That, you know, in that moment, it's to get Sylvie to not kill him. But there will be some moments up ahead where he is going to show us sides of himself that maybe nobody is expecting. That meek version of him is going to give way to pride and genius and the more negative qualities that he possesses are going to emerge and define him as a character. At least that's where I think this is going. Nine. OB. Now you can always feel it when the writers are jamming a character in there. Again, this is that person in the room is raising their hand saying, oh, we need to get OB into this episode. We can't have an episode without him because, you know, that character is going to be important later. And you also want to make sure that the actor wants to be involved in the project. You also want to keep the audience aware that this character is you know, someone to keep track of. If you left the TVA for multiple episodes in a row, then you would ignore the TVA and just focus on these journeys to other time periods. But we spent some time there and we spent some time with OB. 
They created excuses to have him on screen. Sadly, they didn't really have much to give him other than, you know, repeat the whole, we're all going to die techno babble from last week and explaining everything to Loki and Mobius. But we already knew this stuff. It might as well be previously on, right? But otherwise, we could have started this episode in Chicago in 1893, and there would be no need to have Obi in the episode. But we wanted to have Obi in the episode, so you needed to have that scene. And then it ended up just being a recap and reestablishing what the stakes are. I can understand having it there. It was just kind of jammed in there, and you can always feel it when that's happening. But one thing I will say, because we get reminded about Obi, and then we get to a place where Miss Minutes talks about wanting to have a body. And we hear Timely say he's never thought of doing that or has that skill. Here's a prediction for you. OB is the guy who can make stuff. What if he is going to build a body for Miss Minutes and be his partner by the end? And this would be an interesting place to go by the end of season two. I mean, this episode completely abandoned giving OB a meaningful arc. He's a character to be used, not one really to explore. And, you know, when you're, when you're writing characters, the ones who are really moving the story along, as you develop them, they start to talk to you. They start explaining what they want. Like you try to get them to say something and they push back and say something else. And you have to listen and see, okay, this character is taking on a life of their own. Where is this story going to go? And then other characters that you use and you put in to scenes to help extract some substance from your protagonist, like I was saying earlier with Mobius, with Loki. And then there are just characters who are there to spout exposition, who are there to advance plot points, might have the tiniest of their own arcs. And that's who OB has become. And because I like the character, that's why I'm coming up with this crazy prediction of OB building a body for Miss Minutes, that there are enough seeds planted in this character. Like, you got to do something with him. If you don't, it's a massive missed opportunity. If you do, some pieces are there, but still needed to do more with OB here than just have him show up at the beginning and try to repeat the joke of, we're all going to die. Okay, we've heard that before. Now... Give me some suggestion as to who OB is going to be by the end of season two. 10. B13 and Casey. Here too, the TVA expositional scene got them on screen. And we get to hear B13's voice because she's a voice on the radio talking to our people. So the actors all want to see that they're going to have a role to play in all six episodes. So you want to give them reasons to be on screen. But the actors playing B-13 and Casey, they're fun and they're interesting and they're being completely wasted right now. All speaking characters need to have an arc of some shape or form, especially in a show when you've introduced the idea that they are all variants who are extracted from the timeline. They have lives that they were pulled from. There are threads out there that one could go and look at and show them they could understand where they came from and what they are missing out on. It is a great setup for brilliant character arcs, and they're just not using it. it. It's baffling to me. Instead, they're being there just to pump out some information. And it is a shame because the actors are really good and the potential exists, 
to explore each and every one of these characters in an interesting way. And they're sitting on the sidelines, waiting for their opportunity and saying, coach, please put me in. And the coach is ignoring them. Eleven. Docs and X5. Now, if B13 and Casey have an issue, Docs and X5 equally have one for slightly different reasons. Balance is challenging in six episodes to attend to all of the different story threads and all the different characters and making sure they're on screen and advancing the pieces. I get that. It makes you wonder why they chose six episodes other than budget. But, and I understand budget, money, it's important. That aside, when you're trying to tell your story, and you're just jamming lots of characters in there, maybe have fewer characters or fewer storylines so you can pay attention to the ones that really matter. Now with Docs and X5, the balance is really way off and a lot of strange choices. Docs and X5 spiked and then became inconsequential. Docs was set up in episode one. We got to see... Docs in episode two doing the time grenades thing made it seem like she was important and then completely gone in this episode. And episode two, X5 went from being a very quick insertion in episode one. And then episode two was breaking Brad. Like he was all over the place for the first, what, two thirds, three quarters of it, and then became somewhat inconsequential at the end of it. But so he just went way up in importance, zooming past B-13 and Casey, and now, again, completely unimportant. And you're in a six-episode season, you're giving episodes to these other characters. And why? Again, especially since Loki is not getting enough business, that Mobius isn't on screen as much as we would love him to be. And this was our Renslayer Miss Minutes episode. They dominated screen time. Are we going to get another episode in four or five where B-13 and Casey rise or we see Docs come back and Docs hasn't been explored in the same way that X-5 did in the last episode? The balance is very curious. And in this episode, when you have Renslayer and Miss Minutes controlling most of the episode and being the focal point, you end up not only backbenching minor characters, but you know, Loki and Mobius need to as well. If they disappear and don't play as big a role in four and five, again, we'll feel that that balance is off. It's like, why are these characters spiking and falling so drastically? We want some highs and lows, but not quite like this. 12. Long scenes. One other thing that you want from your writers in the writer's room is to point out, hey, this scene that we're mapping out here is getting way too long. And so think about it. How many script pages do you think that scene is in Timely's workshop? First, you know, you have Timely and Miss Minutes, then Renslayer shows up, then Loki and Mobius show up, then Sylvie shows up. And Yes, it's a scene that is broken into pieces, but we're in the same location the whole time and it flows one piece to the next. By the time you are, what, two thirds of the way through, you can feel it. Like we're in this one location. It's exhausting where we're used to at this point. And one can argue about attention spans and all the rest of it. But scenes on average are about three pages long. 
And this one had to be 10, maybe more. I mean, the number that jumps to my mind is 12. It'd be very interesting to see because it's very dialogue heavy. And I understand like you put them in one location and you can control it. It's, it's a set. It doesn't cost as much and all of the actors get the ping off of one another. And that's where your kinetic energy comes from. Even so it felt small and long, which is not what you want. And this is happening not long after the Ferris wheel world's fair scene, where once again, we had timely Loki, Mobius, Renslayer, Miss Minutes, and Sylvie all there. So we had two very long scenes, almost back to back. I mean, there was a gap, but close proximity, bringing the same characters together, dealing with many of the same tensions. So you have these scenes echoing one another, chewing up probably 20 pages of your script. It emerges from things that hadn't happened before. These characters have not spent enough time with each other. And so you need to establish their relationships and set up what's going to happen between them over the second half of the season. You need to see how these different agendas are going to push and pull at one another. And so you can explore that in multiple scenes, or you can just jam them all together in one scene and have a bunch of it play out. The better way of handling it is having those smaller scenes and then having only one of these bigger, longer scenes where we really understand the dynamics between all of them. And then we can have them all play out in one big scene. But when it's a repetitious feel to it, where we're hearing the same things over and over again, and they're confronting each other. And we also know it can't be resolved because we're only three episodes into a six episode season. So two scenes like this, both of them not truly resolving is the end result of not either a having enough canvas to spread it out or the canvas, the episodes weren't used in a way to set this up so that you didn't have to have it be 10 to 12 pages because some of that stuff would have been set up. So we wouldn't need to say it here. Whenever you have a long scene and you're in the writer's room, you need to be saying, why is it going this long? What haven't we done? Because we're trying to do too much with this one scene and we need to find a way to do it earlier so that we can just have one of these scenes and have it play out things that the audience is already invested in. 13. Other stuff, rapid fire. So I'm just going to throw out some of the other smaller things that jumped out at me over the course of the episode, where when I picture them on the page, I raise an eyebrow or find it interesting. So first thing, there are little things can fray an overall experience that are faith in the fact that this is a good story well told. And nothing does that quite the same way as narrative convenience. So when you have a character like Mobius saying like, how are we ever going to find Miss Minutes? And then the newsy kid comes along with the newspaper and the headline is about Miss Minutes. I know they play it for laughs. They play it for like, they're aware it is narratively convenient. It just feels way too easy. And just because you know, arch an eyebrow at it as characters in the story doesn't make it any better. And another piece of narrative convenience, the fact that Victor Timely has just finished the time loom expander, right? When all of this is happening. Now I understand it can be explained 
that this is all part of he who remains or the various Kangs, that it's part of the larger plan that was put into place. That's going to, we're going to find out more about it over the second half of the season. But even so in the moment, it feels very convenient that he has the exact thing that he is going to need when he gets to the, to the TVA and needs to fix the time loom to expand it and make more room in it. So it starts feeling like fate instead of free will, problematic narrative convenience, which may be explained away later, but when we feel it in the moment, it takes us out of the story and makes us wonder why is this happening the way it's happening? It feels too easy. Another thing, they have an interesting approach to time travel here because we've seen in a lot of sci-fi that protecting the timeline matters. Here, they don't care one whit about protecting the timeline. All you need to look at is Miss Minutes becoming massive and stomping through the World's Fair. There is no discussion like that's going to distort the timeline. They just don't care. And yet there is that also a, a familiar sci-fi paradox when they brought um, Timely, the TVA, handbook that they help create the genius who created time travel. But if they hadn't done that yet, then they wouldn't have been able to go back in time. It's that big old time loop. They're willing to indulge that sci-fi trope while at the same time, not caring at all about other sci-fi tropes. It's always an interesting thing to me when you're setting up the rules of your universe, what matters and what doesn't what rules you choose to install and then follow and others which you say, well, we don't need to bother with that because it'll just get in the way of us doing something interesting. As long as you're consistent, it's fine. You just have to have rules in place. And depending on the vibe and feel of your show, you can play fast and loose or you can be more locked in to, you know, there are just conventions when it's hard sci-fi versus soft. And this is soft and so they can pick and choose. I talked about power problems last week about Loki and what he showed us that he could do and why wouldn't he use those powers in subsequent scenes. Here's a great example in that fight when Loki and Mobius are there and Renslayer has got that, you know, zap rod. Loki could just use his magical powers to zap Renslayer into a cage, just like he did with the big dude he was going to fight. He just zapped him into a cage. But he doesn't do that. Or he could use shadows in the room to grab a hold of Renslayer. Doesn't do that either. Those are the problems that you create when you put powers into the story. You set up an expectation that those powers can be used later. And so when you get into a situation where it would be really useful, but would undercut the drama of the moment, they don't have the characters do it. And the viewer is left to wonder why. And that's taking the easy path, uh, as a writer, we're going to ignore the powers because otherwise it would make the scene harder to write, but you have to follow through with whatever you've introduced. And finally, what could possibly be so compelling about Renslayer that the secret that Miss Minutes refers to at the end of the episode and questions like that are great hooks. Now you can ask, is Renslayer as a character worth that being your cliffhanger? This is high risk, high reward. They have established what Miss Minutes knows really has to be good. Otherwise, when it's revealed what this secret is, if it's not massive, it's, if it's not game changing, 
if it's not significant to how the season's going to play out, when we do find out what it is, our imaginations are going to ripple back to this moment and we'll think that was deserving of a major cliffhanger. And when I say major cliffhanger, this is the halfway point for Miss Minutes to say in this moment that this is a massive reveal of Renslayer. Okay, it needs to be instrumental in the narrative. And if it's not, then it's going to do significant damage to how a viewer feels about the overall story when they get to the end. Even if they can't point to the moment and articulate why the season didn't hold up, this is one of those moments. If the reveal later on measures up to the fact that you left it off as a cliffhanger, we feel much better about the narrative and we think, oh my gosh, wow, they pulled that off. But if it doesn't measure up, and the expectations should be really high, if it doesn't measure up, we end up thinking far less of other pieces of the narrative because they couldn't follow through even on the biggest of promises. Okay, that's it for this week. Thank you for listening in, and uh, I will be back here next week with a look at the next episode of Loki. I'll see you next week. Have a good one. Thank you.